This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Show. I'm Chris Hambling and I'm your host as we look back at the game that sent Palace crashing firmly back down to earth after two successive wins. After recent games against Spurs following the theme of turgid 1-0 defeats, the Eagles chose a challenging way to avoid repeating this, by churning out a complete shit show of a performance in which they can consider themselves overwhelmingly fortunate to have only lost 4-0. We'll angrily look back at the game and we'll also hear from you, the listeners, as we attempt to put it into some sort of perspective. I'll introduce you to my panel in just a moment. Back of the Nest Match Review Podcast. www.backofthenest.com Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and term supply. See mcdonalds.com. Right, here we go. First up on the panel, Mr. Mike Scott. Hello, Mike. Hello. You all right? No, no. I, You inspired me to give up vaping. And um, after after the last show where you said you'd given up vaping, if you remember. Yeah, well, I was going to say, don't, don't blame me for this, but you, you will feel the health benefits. You won't feel the, the burning lung sensation thing I was talking about. Yeah, I mean, I definitely felt that. And that's what kind of made me want to give it up. But I mean, I'm, I'm less than 24 hours into it and I'm pretty angry. I'll be honest, everything's making... I shouted at a man who was whistling outside my house earlier. I only I, I, saying they're going to have to bleep this. I said, stop whistling, you f***. That's what I said. That's not that's not normal, is it? I mean, how much of that was because of the Spurs result and how much because of the vaping? Yeah, I think there's, there's a good 50-50 at the least. Okay. Um, and I'm out of Fintons as well, which is a nightmare. Yeah, I've got some fake Fintons on the go, some 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 Gordons. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've 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 had a mixed week because I, I was meant to be I, I was meant to be having an operation on my back, um, and at the last minute it's been postponed. Uh, I'd given up my ticket on the Friday to go and watch uh, the Ashes at the Oval Friday Friday of the Test because uh, I thought I'd be uh, recovering from operation, so I missed out on that. Um, Looks sounds like everyone had a, a lovely time. One of my friends got so drunk that he called a man in Birkenstocks a paedophile because he didn't like his shoes. Um, so it's, yeah, sounds like I, I missed a really good day. But I, I, I've seen I've seen some sun this week, so I'm, I don't think I'm quite as pissed off as you are. I've, and, and I've got to say, no. four weeks into the, the vaping giving up, I, I I I don't miss it too much. So I reckon you've got about three weeks and six days to go. Oh, good, good. That's uh, 
Yeah, that helps a, helps a great deal right now, I've got to say. Um, also, we have Mr. Chris Clark. Hello, Chris. Hello, Chris. You all right? Yeah, you? No, not really. A bit fed up. But um, actually, perspective is important here. And I think, you know, hopefully I'll be bringing a bit more positivity than you by the sound of it. I would say so. <laughs> it's very... I mean, I, I don't want to. Sort of, we haven't obviously we're starting the recording, so I don't know what I'm going to say. But I would suspect that you're right there. Um, I'll do my best. Be quiet. Yeah. All right, mate. All right. Well, let, let's um, let's get to the person everybody's waiting oh, yeah. to hear from because it's been it's been a while, hasn't it? Hello, Dr. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Dr. Kerner's there. Dr. You had a little trip to Turkey. How was it? Oh, it was brilliant. Um, yeah, I went to Fenerbahce game there. Um, so I saw a lot of play. Uh, took in some sun. I just feel new. And then I watched Palace yesterday and now everything's gone. All the benefits are gone. <laughs> <laughs> like my old self. Now, I just want to um, uh, just draw something to the attention of the listeners there in case they were getting a bit confused. When you when you said you went to see a Fenerbahce game, uh, there's also a football team called Fenerbahce. It's not just oh, the pastry, man. is it? Yeah. That's there's, there's a team as well, just in case you were getting confused there. Um, yeah, the atmosphere there was brilliant. I have to admit, I loved it. I sent, I think I've posted some videos on my Twitter feed. Um, but yeah, it, like two, three hours before the game, everyone was out on the streets, even in the game. Like, it was just amazing. Hopefully, I should be going to Fenerbahce Galatasaray as well. Fingers crossed in February. Oh, mate, I can't wait to find out if you go into that. Um, yeah. I'm sure the <laughs> listeners can't either. So, <laughs> so anyway, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, good to hear from you. Um, Sam's producing this week as well. Um, just thought I'd give her a quick shout out at the start because, you know, those of you who turn off before the end of the show <laughs> don't always hear her name. Um, so just a quick mention, if you do want to get in touch with us, um, we have got, of course, the uh, WhatsApp messages where you can just add 0203 575 1266 to your contacts uh, and then send us audio clips and in some cases video clips um, and various messages as well. Uh, but if you're not really into WhatsApp and you're, you know, you're, but you're still kind of into futuristic ways of communicating, we also got something called email. Have you heard of email, DR? Uh, what's that? It's like, um, it's like writing a letter to someone. Um, uh, but I just, you, but you can don't have to put a stamp on it or anything. You just you write it electronically on um on a computer, and you're able to send it to people. I you I, I still use um the normal post office. Yeah, I know, yeah. I know you do. <laughs> but, um, if if you want to send us an, an email, it's hi at backofthenest.com. Right, it's time to get into a little bit of game reaction, and we will have a, a clip in just a moment. But I want to get into a bit bit of a discussion first before we jump into the clip um so to try and add some perspective at the top of the show because let's face it sometimes we get a bit of criticism for being negative it's obviously very difficult to look at this particular game in anything that constitutes a popular sort of light um but i do want to kind of try to upfront say it's not really any shame necessarily in 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 us you know in palace losing to spurs they're a very good side um, so my question really to the panel is, do we just have to accept that they're a better team than us? Roy seemed to accept that they're a better team than us um, in the way that we set up, in the way that we went about the game and the amount of respect we showed to them yet again. Oops, I've started drifting. DR? <laughs> to a certain extent, yes. Um, but even before the game, I it sounds crazy, but going into the game, I expected us to try go and get at least a point um, which after 23 minutes of watching a game my hopes of that completely ended because if you're looking at the season yes 
uh, Tottenham did manage to get a result at City away, but they were extremely poor there. They lost to Newcastle at home and they're still going into the new ground. They're not familiar with it. So I thought going into the game, we're on high. Uh, if we defend as we have done previously, then we could get a point. So, yeah, to a certain extent, we could have done much better defending. Um, that's the disappointing part. But then again, you just saw the class and difference in the two teams and they deserved it. It's the crushing inevitability about losing to Spurs that really gets on my tits. Um, and all I can say about a 4-0 defeat is that at least it was a bit different. I mean, the, the ninth league defeat in the row and the last time apparently we scored at their stadium was AJ. So, I mean, it is it is just depressing. Um, but there's got to be more to it than than the fact that they're a bogey team. You know, the same way we seem to always yeah. beat Leicester there's something about Spurs um, that neither Hodgson nor previous managers have managed to uh, accept it is something that we need to play against. Um, and it does get on my nerves. And it's it, I, probably apart from the Brighton game, it's the one fixture in the league I just dread because I just know it's going to be depressing. And I just thought maybe the league win, uh, the league, um, sorry, the cup win last season might have changed things, but no. Have we lost? Um, no, has Pochettino actually lost against Palace in a league because under Southampton and Tottenham? Because I saw something flying around yesterday suggesting that he hasn't. So yeah, I don't think it's a Spurs thing. I just think it's Pochettino, and he's figured our players out from the start since he's come to the Premier League. So yeah, it's it's one of them things, unfortunately. It's also the players they've got, isn't it? And it's not just the quality; it's the speed, and that was very apparent when we get into the full match reaction. I'm sure we'll pick apart the individual goals and the mistakes that led to them. But they absolutely took us apart on pace yesterday for me. And I think that was crucial. Plus, there were individual errors as well. And class will tell. They they, they are a better side. Uh, so, yeah, on paper, you'd expect to lose. We lost. So, yeah, we move on. Well, some of us move on. Some of us don't. <laughs> some of us like to... Um, I mean, certainly it'd be stupid to move on immediately at the start of a recording of a podcast sure. if that's in the game, wouldn't it? Um, so, so, unfortunately, we're not going to move on quite yet. Um, no, I, I think it's important to say that, you know, as much as we, we're going to talk about the game and react to it, I, I do understand the importance of perspective and, and the fact that they're a better side. And also, some of the things that we're going to talk about, particularly some of the suggestions that I'm going to make, I'm not saying that they guarantee a better result. I mean, it you know it wouldn't have been much worse of a result, you would hope. But you know, just because we're going to pick out what we thought went wrong, it doesn't necessarily mean that if Roy had done did what we said or the players did what we said, that that automatically would have given us a better result. But I think you know, we can look at games in our own history, but in particular this weekend, you can look at how Norwich went about their their game against Manchester City. And immediately people be thinking, yeah, but we beat City last year with the same manager and the same set of players. Yeah, and, and we we approached the game in a different way than we approached the game against Spurs. But I think that there's something to be said about starting a game the right way. And I, I know even when we end up with positive results, that's it's one of the things that gets to me a little bit. And, and I've said it before, so I won't go into a huge amount of repeating myself, but we start very passively because we are set up in a shape, we're set up to be organised, and the very the idea is to go into that game with a sort of level head, and that's really good advice some of the time. But if you don't match the energy and intensity of your opposition, which ignore if skill beats you, skill beats you. But if energy 
um, an intensity and hard work beats you and you don't match it, then you, you should be you should be criticised heavily for it. Mike, you did have something to say, but then you stopped having something. I, I was just going to say succinctly from the first part there that we're asking people not to at us on Twitter and say, oh, you're being really miserable for an hour. I think what Hambo's trying to say is that we've got uh, 45 minutes to chat through this and it's probably going to be quite negative. So, uh... <laughs> Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. I, I don't think, um, let me just go in. I don't think our approach was wrong going into the game, though. I, I just don't buy into that. I, yes, we I understand your point that we're passive when we do start games, but, you know, at times it has worked. And go, going into it, I understand it because last season, away from home, it wasn't a coincidence that we finished sixth in Premier League form because Roy has set up like that and it has worked. Because now, yeah, it was 4 0 defeat, but if you actually look at the game itself, I don't think it was down to the tactics. Yes, tactics did play a part, but it was mainly due to players just not coming um, coming up to their standards and not showing themselves, really. If you look at four goals that were conceded, it was mainly the players' fault rather than tactics. Sorry, DR flagrantly ignoring the bit I underlined in the show plan there. Um, <laughs> and then Chris trying to react to it as well, also ignoring the underlying bit in the show plan that we've got a whole topic on on that. Yeah, we'll talk, yeah, we'll talk about it so, yeah, I, I Yeah, obviously, getting, getting your point in early, DR, Obviously, mm. I don't agree, and we'll um, yeah. we'll row about it in a second. But let's hear from um, let's hear from Darren first up. Afternoon, back of the nest, Darren here. And uh, second half in the bag. I think we just need to forget that one now, don't we? Put that in the uh, the same bracket as the Colchester game. Um, yeah, that was awful, absolutely awful. Um, don't even get me started on Benteke. The geezer's a donkey. He came on and when he had, he had the first shot he had in the 78th minute, it took half hour for him to pull the trigger. It's almost as if it went in slow motion. He didn't have, it was nothing. It, it, to me, he's, he's devoid of any confidence whatsoever. Um, you know, it, he couldn't hit a cow's backside with a banjo at the moment. I really don't know um, the best thing to do with him, apart from maybe to leave him at home sometime, because he he just offers nothing. We um, might as well have kept Jordan Ayew on the pitch. You know, at least then, you know, Jordan will run around. He'll make himself busy. I mean, I watched Benteke get pushed off the ball like he was a feather. The geezer's six foot plus. And he gets pushed off the ball like he's a child. It's a joke. I don't care how devoid of confidence you are. You know, you don't just give up. You've been on the pitch for less than 10 minutes. I just, I don't see it. Um, it's just weak-mindedness. Absolutely weak-mindedness. He has a shot later on in the second half, right towards the end. And this is almost as if he's in the six yard, near enough in the six-yard area. He just passes it back to the keeper. It's like, yeah, mate. Thanks for that. I just don't get it. We we deserve a response as a fan base, I think. Well, I'm, what I'd first say about Darren is that um, I kind of wish that he would talk me to sleep. He's got that kind of, that low. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he should definitely have a regular spot on that like CBB's nighttime story thing because, yeah, he, he'd be perfect for that. Um, so, yeah, hopefully, Darren, we've got you a new career there. Um, in the show, Doc, we were going to discuss the goals before we discussed Benteke, but um, 
being as you've brought him up quite a bit, I reckon let's just just swap those round. Um, he did have two efforts on goal, and they were they were poor. Uh, watched watched them back today. Um, oh, we've gone over a million times about his lack of confidence, but um, they were just mind blowing. They were just pass backs, uh, very odd. Um, I can understand why there was a change made. Um, understand why there was three changes made. Um, but, um, but yeah, Benteke, another anonymous display. And it, it, I found it very odd that he was the one that they wheeled out for the uh, post-match interview as well after playing 15 minutes, asking him about the start of the game and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, very odd. Apparently, um, from the rumours, it seems like the club has offered Benteke a new contract or they're going to go in contract negotiations. Do you think that um, there's a chance that the club's sign Benteke uh, on like a one or two year deal and just try sell him um, just so they don't lose him for free this summer. I feel like that we're edging towards that because we've talked about Benteke for God knows how long now. And it's just, yes, you could argue um, a player could go out of form, but at this stage, I'm not really too sure if it's form or if it's just a dip in his career it seems like it's an unfortunate dip maybe if he goes elsewhere and a manager plays to his strengths maybe you could get goals like that but at Palace especially under Roy Hodgson I just don't see it working but if the club do offer him a new contract with the idea of reselling him then I don't think that's a worse that's the worst idea um I think it's good you don't want to lose him for free Right, well, a couple of things there. The, f- the first thing is in answer to what you're saying, Dio. Of course, it's offering him a contract. It's not performance-based, is it? Because he's been shocking for a considerable period of time. It's pretty obvious it's about trying to protect some sort of value there. So that, that's thing number one. Um, thing, thing number two is, is that actually a sensible thing to be doing? I'm, I'm not so sure. I think maybe cutting your losses sometimes is probably a better way of working. Um, certainly when we've got a a 25-man squad and we couldn't sign sign any additional players uh, after we named it. I don't think we've done ourselves any favours there by filling our squad with um, with people who aren't going to play. Because let's face it, Roy doesn't use more than more than the core the core squad. I do want to give a quick um, nod to, to Darren. We are gonna. Um, he did do a, um, a a clip for the first half as well, so that was his, his second half slash end of the game reaction. Um, and there, like you say, there was quite a lot in it. Um, I think for the for the final edit of this podcast, it will be chopped down a little bit. But um, but thank you for doing that, uh, Darren. Just wanted to give a shout out to that as well. So a couple of people want to chime in there. Go on. I was just wondering whether perhaps he could help with your quitting vaping. If he did like a, a nightly little voicemail for you, just to just to have while you were drifting off to sleep, <laughs> just to remind you that life's all right without it. I, I think he'd do a sterling job. Yeah, you're probably right. The other thing, just picking up on the Benteke thing, is if we're in a position where Roy chooses not to stay beyond the end of this season, and if we stay in the Premier League, then I think if you're going to get a new manager and there's going to be a new approach, then it's perfectly possible that that the new manager does like the look of him, does play wingers who send crosses in and the things that he needed and give him the service that he needs to be able to perform. So it's not a completely crazy move to re-sign a player who we know has got a lot of talent, but just hasn't displayed it recently. I think we're past that. I'll be honest. I, you know, we've been waiting for a couple of seasons now for something to happen. And the problem is it's such a long way back. 
It's not just a case of suddenly being able to stick the ball in the area and he'll score because, you know, as people are rightly observing when we've talked about this before, look at the the type of runs he's making and the positions he's taken up. And, and more importantly, look at him in this game where he had two very good opportunities. I think what goes on in someone's head when they're, when they're passing the ball back lightly to the keeper from a very good position is he's trying to get that calmness in the head that sort of comes from having confidence and being able to finish. But he's so far away from it. I think we, we are absolutely wasting our time now um and that might be because i've given up vaping but that's that's how i currently feel I, i've been an advocate of, of trying really hard to stick with christian benteke because there is talent there but how long do you keep saying there's talent there you just at some point you have to go ah. yeah let's let's um let's give each other a clean break and, and you know and, and, and move on talking of moving on let's let's talk about the well, we have to do it let's talk about the goals so obviously it was a um, an interesting start. Spurs right from the off. Um, I think Son had a, a shot again for the start of the first half from very, very early on, which Guaita got behind. But that really set the tone. They came out fired up. Um, they'd had a, a meeting after a poor start to the season. So obviously Pochettino doing his job as a manager, getting into the players, um, making sure they understand that they were underperforming. You know, did, did something a little bit different in the way that he set up. Uh, Son always plays well against us, and um, I've got to say he's he's a terrific footballer. I think he's so underrated by by the majority of people in football. Um, I think he's right up there, and I always always perplexed when he doesn't start for for Spurs because I think he's probably their best player, and I include Harry Kane in that. But anyway, uh, let's talk about the first goal because it was a a key moment in the game because we love to to try and keep it tight. We keep our shape. Um, almost the screen just to the right of me, I've got a wonderful moment paused further into the game where we're doing just that keeping our shape where the midfield five are lined up across the pitch with three players in behind them completely unmarked and then the <laughs> then the back four just standing in a line as well far too rigid we were playing and unfortunately Sacco who we'll, we'll talk about I'm sure now completely misjudges a ball forward I think the first mistake is by ha- having the system that we have by sitting sitting fairly deep the way that we did you know, you're kind of relying on Jordan Ayew running across the entire Spurs back line to stop them having an easy pass out. But obviously that's not possible or practical. So Vertonghen gets an opportunity to pick a pass. It had an opportunity to do that earlier where Kane nearly scored, but we, we did nothing about it. Knocks the ball forward. Sacco's wrong side, completely under the ball. And, you know, he's rusty, let's face it, as, uh, as Darren said. And it's a it's a good finish from Son, and it almost exactly matches a finish from Son from I think it was last season, but it's very recently where you know he picked the ball up and then ran across our defence, dumping people on their backsides and drilling it in near post. Um, but yeah, guys, the, the the error there has to be from Sacco. So what do we think um, about about Sacco in general and the way we started that game? Um, I'm not that shocked personally. Um, he, as he, I think he hasn't played a game since February, so it's been a while, all that rehab and stuff. Um, but also, the, we'll talk about lineups later. But I don't think I was happy with him starting the game. And um, I people also I saw people saying that it could be a chemistry issue with Cahill, but I just don't think it's nothing to do with chemistry. I just think it's just him and getting back into the game. Really, um, Sacco from before, fully fit Sacco. Yes, he does do some crazy things, but I feel like he could have read that much better. You can't really blame anything apart from him just 
maybe not being not you know not playing for a while and that's really it but then again I was shocked in a way when when the goal went in I was like surely something happened this offside or it's a foul or something because it was just way too easy and we don't tend to concede goals like that like we criticize Hodgson a lot but he does set us up pretty perfectly and this season before the Tottenham game we only conceded I think two or three goals so we've been good so far and it was just way too easy but I guess that's what happens when you don't play football for so long I kind of want to take two issues there the first is I I would have thought that chemistry is quite a a large issue Um, he's not played a game he's not started a game in the league since since February Um, and Cahill and him are both kind of alpha males in defence and You've got two uh, different opinions. Uh, if you know, if Sacco's used to sort of being the person that tells everyone what to do up until February, and then suddenly he's having to listen to Cahill, it, it might be a chemistry issue. But more than that, PVA, it just wasn't even. I I, I think there's a, a big, a, enormous gap between. Um, Sacco's shoulder and PVA um, and he's covering two positions he's in he's in two minds about whether where he should be in order to make up for the fact that there's three defenders in a line and one about five six yards further up than the rest of them um, and PVA had a shock of a game um, and I give him as much blame as I, I do Sacco for this one personally The only reason why I'll say that chemistry wasn't an issue but it's because it was not like Cahill and Sacco it was there was miscommunication there it was pretty simple it was Sacco's ball yes you mentioned PVA but PVA that's not new news of PVA being out of position because that's how it's been for god knows how long we know that he's a liability defensively and it was very I wouldn't say very stupid the right back position should have been a priority but also not getting a left back in was a bit questionable from the board um but we know from pva that's that's how he is okay maybe on his day he could defend but 90 percent of the time he can't so yeah i don't i wouldn't i wouldn't look too much into pva but overall i don't think chemistry was an issue because it's like you don't it's not cahill and sacco miscommunicating as i said it's just simple error from sacco himself i think part of the problem is we're applying we're looking backwards you know with the benefit of hindsight and when I saw the starting eleven, I was pretty happy with that. I thought that's that's a good setup. And if we had succeeded in keeping it tighter for a little bit longer, it may well have not had the you know disastrous loss of confidence that clearly happened in the aftermath of conceding the goal. Yeah, there's always a risk when you bring a player back from injury when they've not had football for a very, very long time that they're going to be off the pace. And Sacco clearly was. Uh, we saw him play against AFC Wimbledon in the pre-season friendly, and he was equally as off the pace then. The only difference between those two performances, frankly, was that, well, one is that he had James Daly next to him that time, so he was still the boss. And secondly, that he played 90 minutes in this game, whereas he came off on probably about 60 in the Wimbledon game. What, so, what? James Daly doesn't, doesn't play centre-back, mate. Sam Woods? You're right. That's who I meant. Um, yeah, young young kid. That's that's what I was getting at. Sorry, wrong name. But yeah, that I mean, guy. It's not, um, not just that that I have an issue with <laughs> what you're saying there. But um, but again, that will spoil some of the things I'm going to say later on. What I would say, you, you mentioned, of course, that you didn't have an issue with anything in the lineup. I did. 
Um, but we'll talk about that in a bit. But I, to- I totally get the point you're making. You know, Sacco off the pace, and obviously pre-season you're talking about, and, and he had a- he had an injury setback after that, um, which is why it's taken so long to get him back in and around the side. But um, and-, and Mike's point about PVA, yeah, I mean, again, he's out of position. But I think Dr's right when he says that, that that's fairly standard. We have to plan for that. For me, it's it's pretty basic, and I hate to say this, but um, watching goals on Sunday earlier on the horrific human being that is Tony Pulis was absolutely right in saying that, you know, if Sacco takes up the right position there, it, it doesn't develop the way it developed. You know, he, he's just got that wrong. And whether that's because he's rusty or what, or, or because he's not organised with Cahill or whatever, that's that's the fatal flaw in, in that passage of play. And again, to, to, to give DR his props, he's absolutely right. It was way, way, way too easy. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery you in order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com so but that i mean all of that fury that was only goal one um, which again is an error, and you know, Chris said sort of the confidence plummeted after that. To paraphrase, but for me, it, it, one goal, conceding one goal, shouldn't cause a collapse, and I don't really think it did. But I do think goal two did, um, and that was really basic stuff again. That, that it, it comes from a, a ball from deep this time. It was Sissoko. Um, the, the first error is that Son again playing up with the back line. He just drops into that space. Uh, there's a huge gap there between the midfield centre midfield three who were completely in a line for the majority of the game and that don't get me started on that that if that I mean it can't be an instruction because Roy is not you know he's, he's a manager who's managed for over 40 years you know he's not going to say to the to the midfield three oh guys just all stand in an exact straight line and never move from it so people can play the ball in between you really easily so why the players have done that I'm not so sure whether it's as I've put in the document, the pressure shape that we're that we're so focused on that sometimes we forget you actually have to mark other footballers to stop things happening. Maybe it's that, but for me, no one going with Son as he dropped into into the deep, huge error, and certainly no one put pointing to the, one of the midfielders to say come back, because by the time the midfield reacts, it's Jeffrey Schlupp and he completely misses the interception, and of course then we get the real problem that I that I have with Arsenal play at the moment and it's the complete lack of width because everybody is so narrow and on left on our left their right uh, nobody's with with Aurier on the overlap because PVA is incredibly narrow along the back four and Andros is essentially playing left centre midfield at the time so you've got to say you know, PVA is incredibly unlucky with the deflection because all he's done is try to recover from being narrow and in the wrong place and the ball's just just sort of clipped off him, gone gone in the net. So you could you could argue that part's unlucky, but everything that went before it was just utter utter garbage. Well, I'm going to play devil's advocate and talk about 
either Pochettino making um, an informed choice in selecting Aurier because I think it was his first game of the season. He certainly, um, he certainly not played any league games, um, or whether um, it was Hodgson overlooking that as an option. But like you say, we're, we're playing so narrow as we have done all season um, to varying degrees of um, success. But uh, it left Aurier. Uh, in heaps of space and I had a look at his heat map for the game and he is down the wing um, in our half for yeah I mean the vast vast majority of his touches Um, so you could either say it was a master stroke from Pochettino or or, or not but um, it it was one of the factors um, that made us look uh, fairly amateurish Um, and it was no big surprise that that goal went in. It's a shame, it's unlucky because it would have sort of trickled over to Guaita. But um, yeah, it looked like exploiting um, our areas of, of weakness tactically. Well, and as as much as I keep pointing that we'll talk to talk about it in a bit, I just want to give a quick flag to to what we'll get we'll get into. But when you look at the left hand side and, and particularly the games that we've played and won uh, prior to this. The key for me was that it was Jeffrey Schlupp playing in the, the wide forward position. Um, so when he came back into the midfield five, we, we had a player who has who can play down the left-hand side. Um, Roy's insistence that he's a central midfielder drives me mad, and I will rant about that later on. But, you know, Chris mentioned earlier it was a mistake not to sign another left-back. But my God, the, 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 Jeffrey Schlupp is the left-back that we signed for the competition in that place, the fact that we've got a manager who's decided he's not a left back, you know that those were the two players under under Allardyce, PVA and, and Schlupp, who were pushing each other for that position. So you know it seemed to have completely gone out of the window. But I felt we saw the very best that you can get from from Schlupp with him playing in the, the sort of advanced side. Where it, so it's not quite as important that he's switched on the whole time, um, like it was in, in this game. And in this game, when he's he's more central. That those moments where he switches off, and the fact that he's effectively filling in for Macarthur in that system, oh, recipe for disaster in my view. And and again, just to kind of labour the point of when we conceded that goal. Yes, it was an own goal and it deflected in, but when you actually look at the, at the box, Spurs had four players in the box waiting for the ball in, others following up, and obviously Aurier was on the overlap on the right hand side. So he, it's that level of of ambition. When was the last time? Can you think? When, unless we were chasing a game late in a late in a match, when was the last time we decided to commit that many players into the penalty area to wait for a ball in? We just don't do that. We don't play like that. Um, and, and as much as Spurs have all this additional talent, I, I miss seeing a, a side that has that level of ambition. Um, anything from you know from prior to sort of seventy seventy five minutes in a match, it's really odd. Um, odd to watch. But a little bit of levity at the moment, gents, because did you all see the clip between goals two and three where Roy turns to an empty chair and talks tactics for a couple of minutes? It, it, I, it was excellent. I, I originally saw it from um, Max Rushton's account and then it was one of those situations on Twitter where suddenly there's about four people with roughly the same um, tagline taking credit for having posted it. Uh, but yeah, very, very amusing. Uh, and... 
I mean, obviously, obviously, there's a, a you'd hope there's a coach. Well, I kind of, I kind of hope there is. I, 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 I can't, I kind of <laughs> hope that Parish uses it as leverage for uh, lowering his contract money next time around. Well, you were talking to an empty chair, mate. Like you get, you're getting on, mate. <laughs> See you at seventy-five. We better give you half your wages. <laughs> Um, they were, yeah. I mean, there was. I don't know if it was the week just gone or the week coming up that he's due for a for a conversation with with Parish that was said in the in one of the pre match interviews that he, that he had. But um, yeah, I think that's possibly not the result he was hoping for prior to that conversation. Anyway, how, how would you be approached if you were just would take a little moment to for Dr to imagine he's Steve Parish? How would you be having that conversation? That's an interesting conversation. Um, I was actually, I don't know where it was, but Hodgson was talking, uh, I think it might have been at a Pairs for Life event. He was talking about his future and how he seems like he wants to continue and he's enjoying it. So it seems like Parrish will probably be happy with Hodgson because Hodgson is capable of keeping us up. Um, he's proven that over the last two seasons. So I think Steve Parrish, if Hodgson wants to stay, he'll just give him his money and just continue as it goes on. But Steve Parrish did say that there's a three-year plan or something like that. So it's all a bit confusing, but I would keep him. You would? Yeah, yeah, 100%. For financial reasons, to keep the club up. I'd uh, I'd only take him if he's willing to give his... Uh his ghost friend, uh, um, his paranormal ghost friend that sits next to him, uh, a job as well. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, do you have to pay ghosts? That's the question. And, uh, and we won't resolve that on this this show, I'll be honest. But do, do have a think about it and maybe we'll revisit that later on. Because um, they can't spend money, can they? I mean, if you maybe if you took the money and you burnt it and it became ghost money. Anyway, too much to think about there. So moving swiftly on from Roy talking to a chair, uh, we then we then conceded the third goal, an absolute killer of a goal in a number of ways. And I, I've been really quite sort of surprised and happy with with Joel Ward's performances this year. I mean, limited, and we've talked about how limited he is, but I've actually enjoyed him having a little bit of a resurgence and. and yeah, we know we need a new right back and Roy's made that abundantly clear. But yeah, you know, decent so far. Goal three for me, absolutely on him. I mean, he he watches Son run off him and then his his reaction, and, and I really need to sort of talk about what why he has this reaction because I, I'm only speculating, I don't know, but it's just bizarre to me. But he decides that instead of going with the man, and let's, there's actually two because um, obviously oh, whoever I can't remember who's playing left back now, but they, they got forward as well. So there's actually two players out there that Ward decides I'm not even gonna, not even gonna follow them really, um, and he just starts walking into the middle. To and obviously we've seen the fullbacks do this; they tuck in when they're expecting a cross to come in. But again, it's so so narrow. So he's, he's ends, he ends up with we end up with three players marking two Spurs players in the middle, and Ward ends up under the ball so he can't he can't actually make the interception great finish from son absolutely fantastic first time finish on the volley but what what's the point of doing what Joel Ward does there i just don't get it i don't get if there's an instruction there then it's the stupidest instruction ever from the manager in terms of getting the fullbacks to tuck in irrespective of what players out there but if it's Joel Ward's decision then then what on earth is he playing at you know he's a 
been a professional footballer for a considerable amount of time. He must recognise that players are the things that score goals, not spaces. So, oh, it's, it's absolutely maddening, that goal. And it just shows you that people have lost their heads by that point. I, I, with Joel Ward, um, I'm not, like, let me make this clear, I'm not overreacting. If you've listened to the show, you know that I've always had doubts about him um, starting as our right back. And I always thought that later on in the season, um, because he had his high, he'll have his lows as well, because I didn't see him continuing like this. And it's pretty much that. And I don't blame Wardy, to be fair, because it's not it's not like, oh, wow, Joe Ward, um, he can't defend or he can't go forward at Premier League level. It's just happened all of a sudden. No, he hasn't. He's been like that for a good year or two. So we know that we'll, what we was going into by starting him and not getting another right back. So I don't blame him, but then again, it's not really Hodgson's fault, is it? That Joe Ward can't do the basic principles of defending as he used to do back in the day. It's just like Ben Tekka that we're talking about. People just, some people take, it seems like, take early, earlier dips in their careers than others. And with Joe Ward, yes, it might be in one game, but I do expect things like this from him. And it sounds harsh, but it's just the reality. It's like, I don't see him continuing continuously playing good throughout the season. And when he becomes a liability, it's a massive one as well, because it's just, if you look at the defending, it's unquestionable, like what's going on. Well, interestingly, Joel Ward is uh, Roy's poltergeist, poltergeist friend's uh, favorite player. So I don't know how much that will help keeping him in the side. Um, (laughs) But what I I would say um, is that, I don't think any of the sides we've played up to the po- this point this season um, had a finisher of the quality of Son to finish that off. So I feel like we have been conceding um, moves like this um, and we haven't been punished. And um, it, it was going to happen. And as you pointed out, Son, I'm a very underrated player, one of the best finishers in the league. There's a, there's a dearth of excellent finishers um, I can't think of that many. A Bang Yang scored a, a, another screamer against Watford, um, but there's there's not that many of uh, in that mould. And I think Ward can afford to make those kind of mistakes, sort of eight, nine games out of ten. Um, and we're not going to be discussing it because he's not going to get punished for it. So um, to to an extent, um, that I, I feel like this goal more than the others was was really the skill of of Spurs players as much as our mistakes. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And you, you've kind of touched on a, a topic I've been trying to kind of avoid because it, it, it's one of those where people on the opposite sides of the spectrum like to go to extremes in your in, in, in views when they're arguing it, if you like. So, for example, if I was to say even, you know, avoided saying it after a couple of wins, particularly when we were talking about the Villa game, I really wanted to get into the fact that actually that was we were quite lucky at times and I didn't want to dwell on the Grealish situation at the end and I you know I didn't want to point out that we actually a better side would have probably scored a good couple of goals against us in that and you know we're still missing chances but that's what that's basically what you're getting at is that you know the way we have been playing this season you know points are points but we we are conceding chances and you know we we came across a team that finished those chances this time um, and whilst, yeah, okay, arguably not every team will do that, it's still a, it's still of concern. And perhaps that's the reason that, um, you know, during the week, and I think it was at the Palace for, for Life event that, that uh, DR and Chris, uh, sorry, that uh, Terence and Chris were out on our behalf, where 
Roy actually said, be prepared for for a bit of heartache this season as much as anything else. So, you know, yeah, okay, he's trying to be realistic there, but I think that's a sort of indicative of, of what he's talking about, that we are still a team that is going to concede chances and up against the better opposition. Sometimes we're going to see games like this and we have to kind of accept it and move on and hope we can put it right in the next one. However, we didn't uh, do much better after the third goal. Uh, goal four before half-time. Mike, you've picked it out as a Luke error. I believe it was you. It, it was indeed, um, but you're quite right to say that it, uh, from the point Luca lost the ball until the point that Lamella annoyingly scored, um, there wasn't any positives to bring out of anything. So, Yeah, sorry, I was just having a swig of wine. Um, <laughs> no, there's a... Um, I think for me, the biggest problem I saw, as, as I've put in the, the, the show doc there, was... Ward was caught very central further upfield. And as we as possession turned over, no immediate sort of reaction. And then a sort of, not just him, a number of players started to jog back as Spurs broke. They broke with pace. We talked about pace earlier on, uh, catching us out. But the key um, area for me of concern was as Ward ran back, he ran back centrally and sort of seemed to gesture for Cahill to step out right to take, to, you know, to take that side where he should have been. But very quickly, Cahill pointed at Ward and then pointed at the, the right area and told him to go there. But what actually happened was neither of them ended up marking anybody. And yeah, obviously, um, once the ball broke down, the, the it was, it was right hand side and it came back in. As you say, it was just it was just tapped in for Lamella to score at the end with nobody around him to stop it. And yeah, as much as it's a great ball, great skill from the opposition, I think you know I, me- I mentioned it. Our, our brains had completely gone by that point as a team and. Um, yeah, I was just I was just thankful it wasn't more by half time. Yeah, you're quite right. I mean, by the time that happens, I think back to the Arsenal game last season. Um, these kind of smash and grab things. You, I mean, I've I've played in games like this. Your you, your your brain is so fried that you are making mistakes. But um, I feel like the the sort of the, the problem between Cahill and Wood was symptomatic of the fact that um, the the rigid two lines of midfield and defence that worked so well for Roy's kind of sides um, had had totally fallen apart. So you still, like you mentioned earlier, you had the rigidity of, of a midfield staying in line, but not following where the defenders were. So, so you've suddenly got a situation where the, the, the back four are trying to do what the midfielders usually would do on top of their own job. Um, and that is going to, I mean, uh, somebody of limited... A skill in that regard, like Joel Ward, it's, it's just going to make mistakes. There's no way that a man of his qualities could possibly uh, keep up with players. You know, you've got Rose and Aurier on the overlap. It's a disaster. I mean, we were lucky not to be seven or eight down by half-time. Yeah, definitely. And it, it's, it's a thing that, that I think is a, an absolute minimum for me when I watch Palace play, though, and it might be a little bit unrealistic to say it and also a bit potentially a bit oversimplistic in a number of ways but I expect players to absolutely bust a gut to get back when they're caught out of position that's the for me that's the absolute minimum I don't I think if you're an attacking player you, you get a bit of a free pass uh, depending on the system that you're playing in I think there's only one that we can consider just to be out and out attacking and he has to do a bunch of defending and that's that's Jordan Ayew so um, but I, I I don't didn't see probably three or four players on goal four just jogged 
just jogged back. So, well, we've given the ball away a bit there. Jogged back by the time that react. And you've got to react to the players around you. When Spurs players are breaking their neck to get forward, if you're not matching that, if you're that, that's when you get what you deserve. And we deserve to be four down there. We deserve to lose this game. And, and I can live with being outskilled, outplayed by a team that spent huge amounts of money over a number of years and has incredibly skillful players. Um, I can't can't accept being outworked by them and that's and that's why it hurts I, I think that's underlined by the fact that um in the second half when their intensity uh lessened uh it was a much more even game so it, it shows that uh it was only their their aggression really that was the, the the difference between the first half and the second half um but the only thing I would say again maybe to play devil's advocate for someone like Ward is that um if they're stuck in two minds about what where they should actually be because they feel like plan A is falling apart and they're now trying to do stuff off their own back or what they can hear from the sidelines. Um, are they wondering, uh, should I be running here? Because this might not be what the gaffer wants. Um, and that's that's a situation that seems to me to come from the massive amount of changes that were made by Roy for the start of this game, which I know we're going to get onto as a subject. I think what you mentioned there is just like communication issue. Um, it's, yeah, you might be double thinking about it, but Ward can easily make that judgment right on the spot and make a shout and say, you run there or I run there. But the most confusing part about this game is that going into this game, we were fourth in the Premier League. Yes, I know it's ridiculous. It's early days, but we made a good start. Uh, we went into, we went into the international break on a high. Uh, we got Saka back from injury. Uh, we're playing Tottenham away from home, so it's a big team. So everything kind of worked in our favour for the players to be motivated and to try and get a result. But maybe after maybe after the third goal, I think that's when the lack of effort started to kick in because, as yes, they, these are players, but they're also humans as well. I feel like it just drained them, um, the third goal. Until then, there were yes, they weren't great, in terms of playing football, but the focus was there. But when you guys are describing about the focus dropping, I don't think they weren't focused from the get-go. I think they were, but after conceding three goals in basically 25 to 30 minutes, it just you're just human and your human instincts are kicked in and you can't just handle it and you lose focus. I think that's what it came down to um, for them to lose focus. And yeah, I, it sounds crazy, but I don't blame them because if you've played football, you know how it is. Like three goals is just unacceptable, and it's just emotionally draining. And we know Hodgson isn't brilliant at making changes during the game, and certainly not during the first half. There was an interesting interview with Luca after the game, where he's quoted as saying, uh, "You could see in the first twenty or thirty minutes they were better than us. When they scored the first, second, or third, you try to correct some things, but the game is going. It's not easy." And I think that's probably the. You know, key takeaway here is that you know we don't have the ability to adapt, and I don't think we have since um, I've forgotten the guy's name. That coach who left Stephen something, um, who was very close to Hodgson and did some amazing work on the touchlines, and you could see that Stephen Reed. Stephen Reed, that's the one. He had some rapport with the players in a way that you know you can see that you know Roy and his current team don't. And I think that's that's a key point for you know thinking about how you rectify this in the future is to have a plan B and certainly to be able to adapt it and not wait till half time. Well, look, there's there's a there's a bit in there, and I have to say again, there's there's things in there. I'll be honest, Chris, I don't really agree with. I think 
you know, Dave Reddington is who's replaced Stephen Reid. There's plenty of good rapport with the with the first team players because he's worked with them for for a long, long period of time. And um, but I, I think perhaps there's an argument that he's not as good a coach. Um, but again, we're only we're only speculating. We're not on the training ground. We we don't see what happens day to day. So I prefer to kind of keep away from that. But I do think it's interesting to hear Luca's comments there. Um, and you, but you you bring up a great point, Chris, when you talk about Roy's reaction to changes. So we're four 0 down at half time. There's no personnel changes. There's there's no, there's no seemingly very little in the in the system that changes. And for anyone who thinks that the second half was was an improvement for Palace more than it was Tottenham taking their foot off the gas, I, I think you're kidding yourselves. Because I think if Spurs decided to play at the intensity in the second half that they did in the first, I think they'd have just absolutely spanked us out of sight. And I'm I'm grateful that they didn't. Um, but I think there's, in, in the words that Luke has chosen there and in, and in what I saw, I think, you know, the way we approached the game almost hung the players out to dry. And, and I do know that, you know, certainly DR suggested he didn't agree with me on that, where I feel that the setup, the way we, we behaved was, was the biggest problem with this game. Um, but but we'll, and we'll get into that, and very very shortly. I just want to quickly talk about. Um, actually, this will look. This will take us into it, right? So, and we had a tweet actually from Eastern Eagle who, who mentioned the point that how you know how can a centre back who's who's clearly not even approaching match fitness match fitness be left on the pitch for ninety minutes? And, it, and it's exactly what I'm talking about in terms of the lack of changes. Now, I'm not saying necessarily that, I don't know, Reid Avald coming on would have done a better job. Tompkins could be similarly unfit, although he's fit enough to make the bench. Arguably, you make a change there. But Sacco was visibly struggling, but we just kept him on. Maybe that's just to get the minutes in his legs. I don't know, but it seemed counterproductive. Um, we didn't make a, a change until Benteke came on for RU. And then we made a change at 76 minutes. That was 71 minutes. On 76 minutes, McCarthy came on for Coyote because of an injury. And then we gave Camarasa five minutes at the end. So, yeah, okay, you can say that damage limitation was was the the way to go about it, but it, can, it just feels like not trying. It feels like not trying to react. And I think that again, that frustrates me perhaps more than anything. You may have a point for other substitutions, but I don't agree with the Saka one. Where he's playing, you could see that yeah, he's not hundred percent fit. But how are you going to get fit by actually playing football? And we're not actually in a cup competition, so the two options is that you play for the first team or you play for the under twenty threes. We're already four 0 down. The damage has been done. Why take off Sacco? Like I don't get people's points of taking off Sacco because uh, we're four 0 down. It doesn't make sense. We're trying to build up his match fitness. Yes, it didn't work out, but it's, it, that's done now. We're, we're not going to come back into this game in the second half. Let's be realistic. We're facing Tottenham away from home. We're 4-0 down. You play Sacco, so he gets fit. It's just simple as. Yeah, like The other points that you did make with the substitutions, okay, you do have a point, but not with the Sacco one. I just don't buy into that. No, no that's... Again, I'm, I'm dealing with a comment from, from, from Eastern Eagle, but I, I can see it. I can see the argument, but I'm, yeah, you're, you're probably... You're absolutely right. The, the damage was done at a point, I mean, there's nothing stopping you, but you're not, you're not going to take Sacco off after five minutes, are you? Or after 20 minutes, it's, it's just not going to happen um, as much as as much as he was clearly struggling. So, look, I take the point. Um, look, what what's what's what are people's views on on Andros Townsend before I get into this? Because Andros took a bit of stick, like a lot of the players did. Um, I got argued with for for saying I blame the manager on Twitter and. 
the point that was given to me was essentially the argument is that the manager doesn't tell the players to play badly. And for me, I've got to say that's absolute bullshit because it's not it's not that simple. It's not just a, a team being 4-0 down at half-time. It's not just some players playing badly. Sometimes players play badly. Okay, you have someone, someone have a bad game. But for a collective team performance to be that poor, you've got to be honest and say that the, the way we've gone about the game was all wrong. Tottenham did a great job of just playing in the gaps that we were going to leave. And anyone who'd watched Palace this season and last will know that we have a fairly rigid system. But in this case, we didn't react. We didn't go back with, we didn't go with runners. The midfield, and we've talked about it, the midfield and the defence didn't really play as a cohesive unit. It was too static and we got absolutely punished. So I'm not really happy with that kind of level of, of, of argument. But going back to Andros, he doesn't really look confident. He doesn't look like he's in the game ever at the moment. So how's he gone so far downhill? That's the, probably the thing that stuck out to me most when I started watching the game was that I was expecting Angels to be down the right, Wilf to be down the left. Um, I'd made peace with the schlup change, um, but and I, I, you know, I'm a massive fan of Angels as are ninety nine point eight percent of Palace fans, um, and it's always great to see him starting, especially as you usually expect him to start every game in every competition, but. He's obviously been out of favour, out of form a little bit the last couple of games. So to find him the opposite side of the pitch, I mean, you, you, he's already, he needs to build up his confidence. I just found that incredible. So he, he's he's covering the liability that is PVA, um, which he, you know, he can do on his day, um, but I'd say probably not as strong as, as Schlupp would be. Um you're just giving him an extra responsibility and saying you're going to have to be covering back the whole time, um, looking backwards rather than looking forwards. Um, it just seemed like you're, you're hamstringing a player that needs his confidence back straight away. And I couldn't see him. Um, I couldn't see him coming out as a winner from from that, even from kickoff. So um, in this case, I absolutely would agree with you that it's manager choice, manager tactics, rather than the player just playing shit, um, you know, which does happen. It can be one or the other. It can be both. But in this case, I just feel like he was he was on a hiding to nothing. For this game, you could say that. But if you look at Andros overall this season, um, he hasn't performed well. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. I feel like last season, him and wan Bissaka's um, build-up play helped him out a lot because Andros is so predictable. I know what Andros is going to do. If a team scouts Andros, they'll figure out in five minutes. He's going to go down the wing and then cut on his left-hand side, uh, cut on the left for, whilst playing on the right. And teams just double-team him and figure him out. But before, when when he had Wan-Bissaka there, he could give that pass down the line. But Joel Ward isn't that attacking threat. But looking at the Tottenham game, he started on the left, which is a odd decision from Hodgson. And that's why I'm saying there are things that Hodgson... Didn't do correct, in my opinion, but I, I still wouldn't put the full blame on him for the result. Um, because we've known from the past that Andros does not like playing on the left-hand side. And then there were comments about Andros not being good defensively, but you giving him the responsibility, as Mike said, to go and help PVA out. So that was all a bit confusing. But overall, I'd, I honestly think it's just the Wan-Bissaka effect of Andros and... If if we have a fully fit squad, I just don't see Hodgson starting him because he just isn't that attacking threat. 
Well, it leads me into to what I want to talk about now, which is so Andros comes back into the side. So we've we've obviously won two games with him being dropped, and that doesn't mean categorically that him being dropped caused us to win those two games. Okay, but um, and, and Chris Clark, prepare yourself because you're going to have to come back and defend your um your favourite player. So <laughs> for me, actually, it's not really about the player at all. It's about the the managerial decision. So, so the reason Andrews Townsend comes back into the side is that James MacArthur picked up an injury. So, first of all, let's let's get our head round, heads around that. We've got a whole host of central midfield or midfield players available to us. One in James MacArthur gets injured, so our reaction is to bring Andrews Townsend into the team. So, think about that: the fact we've won two games on the bounce, James MacArthur out, host of options to bring in. Andros Townsend comes in. But of course it, it's fine because all we're doing is we're taking taking Jeffrey Schlupp out of a position that he looks comfortable and useful in. And we're going to swap him, bring him back into central midfield where he's atrocious in my view. But people will defend that and tell me I'm talking rubbish. Fair enough. Um, and then we're putting Andros Townsend back out wide, but with defensive responsibility that he's not been coping with, which is why he was dropped. So to me, that is baffling. If you lose James MacArthur, and, and you know some people feel that MacArthur shouldn't be a, a first-choice midfielder, but I think he's, he's started the season relatively well. And I, I think if you lose him, you, you pick from a central midfield. If you want to pick like for like, and not just because they sound similar, James McCarthy. Very similar type of player, very busy on the ball, got to be fit by now, been, been without injury for quite some time, focused on Palace, plenty of sub-appearances, not a fitness issue. What you have is an issue of bringing a player back and dropping a, 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 a not and refusing to drop a favourite to do it. Um, personally, I'd have kept Jeffrey Schlupp in the team and kept Andrus on the bench and, and brought in a central midfielder. And you've got other options there. If you want Coyote and Luca to sit, you could bring in Camarasa to play a little bit more advanced ahead of them. Again, you know, you've got that choice. You could bring in Jairo Riedeveld if you're really absolutely intent on being overly defensive. Um, to play central midfield. You could bring in Max Mayer, couldn't you? Remember Max? You could play him. You could um, you could bring him in as well. So there's, there's loads of options available. And for me, that is the categoric, huge, big mistake that Roy Hodgson has made. I think he shoehorned his, his favourite back into central midfield where no one is going to convince me that at Premier League level, Jeffrey Schlupp is a competent central midfielder. For me, he's filled in there at times, and that's all he should be considered as. Unfortunately for me, <laughs> because I don't like it, the manager and staff have decided that Jeffrey Schlupp is a perfectly useful and competent Premier League left central midfielder. And I, I would never be able to make my peace with that. I think you're looking at it in hindsight. I just think going into the game... Uh, well, I have yeah, to, because yeah. I, I, I can't travel back yeah, exactly, in time. But go, looking at it before the game, it makes perfect sense. You... You have Andros, then you have Jeffrey uh, Jeffrey Schlupp, then you have Wilfred Zaha and Jordan Ayew on a counter-attack. You put in one of James McCarthy there, then you mess up the whole balance. Then all you have to do is relax. No, you don't. Yes, no, you do. no, 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 you yes, don't. Yes, you do. But no, because you have Luka Milivojevic there, you have Cheko Kriata there. Maybe Kriata can be that box-to-box player, but he hasn't done that so far in this system. And then you have James McCarthy there, and all three of them are defensive-focused players. No, but you don't, because think about it. It's not the player that they're replacing. is James MacArthur. 
Yeah, but it doesn't matter. It still makes perfect sense that Andros Townsend. No, it doesn't. It doesn't make sense. In theory, I understand why Roy selected him because Andros Townsend still has the pace, and Jeffrey Schlupp, yeah, he has the pace, and Wilfred Zaha has the pace. So hit Tottenham on a counter. And I was talking to the Tottenham fan for the preview of the game, and they said that they haven't figured out their back four yet. So Roy clearly knew that their back four was rusty, so he would rather hit them with the pace. And yes, it didn't work, but it was a risk that he takes. And we always criticise Roy for not taking risks, but this was one he took. And I've I've blamed Roy in the past, but you know what? It didn't work and you just move on. That's it. Horseshit. Absolute no, horseshit. No. You, you know, don't... Let, let me say my bit now, because you, what you've said is that it makes perfect sense. It doesn't make perfect sense to replace James MacArthur with Andros Townsend and then switch Slup from a place where he's been playing well and switch him into central midfield. It does not make sense. What makes sense is to pick a central midfielder in central midfield and keep Slup where he is, or if you're desperate to bring Andros back, you've got to drop one of Will for Slup to play that system. So, That's what makes so sense. So who are you picking? So who are you picking? I leave, based on previous form, I leave Schlupp where he is, I leave Townsend on the bench, and I bring James McCarthy back in for James McCarthy. And then that's too defensive. That's it. Well, then it's, no, they're exactly the same type of players. Why are you saying it's too I, I don't think they're the exact same type of players. I think James McCarthy, he's going up and down the pitch. He's more effective than James McCarthy. I see James McCarthy as more of a defensive person. But then you, well, you, you might see him that way, but he's perfectly capable of playing the exact same role. Well, as he, hasn't, or, he hasn't shown that. Or wait for it. Or wait for it. You ask him to sit and play defensive alongside Luca. And you ask Coyote to do box to box instead of sitting all three in the same line. But you're, you're, you know, I, I, your explanation does not work for me. But let's let Chris have a, have a shot. Well, yeah, my explanation is not necessarily purely to defend what Roy did. When I was looking at the team sheet, I thought I could see a system that would work, which would be something more akin to a flexible 4-3-3. And... I had anticipated that was what we were going to get. And instead we got this, you know, rows of four, five, one effectively. And so for me, I was expecting something that we didn't get. And as you say, it's a bit like for me, you know, what happened yesterday was a, a bit like if you're playing football manager and you click retrain position and try and make someone who's not a gifted player in a certain mode of operation transfer into that different role and see if they can do it and that we've seen that with Schlupp I mean I think he's had good moments in the centre but he's not that's not his default position it's not his strong position and as you say he's not started the season playing that way I wouldn't have moved him either I was delighted to see Andros back um, and I think that he was my anticipation was that he would be that Schlupp would be tucked behind with a view to basically covering PVA so that effectively we'd have three left left sided players and they'd kind of roll around each other but that isn't what transpired and it didn't work no you're absolutely right it didn't and look i i, I just i challenge anybody to convince me oh one thing i'd like okay i'm not completely anti-roy or anything like that I, you know he has been annoying me for a period of time but i think all managers have their little idiosyncrasies that become annoying but i'm almost desperate to know whether another manager would come in and play Jeffrey Schlupp in central midfield. I'm just desperate to know it because, I mean, I remember you know Dio and I being on on Love Sport and talking to to Jake Watson, who's a, a Leicester fan, and and me te- breaking the news to Jake that we'd use Jeffrey Schlupp in central midfield. I think he laughed for about 15 minutes. It it is bizarre, and you know Dio yourself, you talked about you know using Jeffrey Schlupp's pace, but he doesn't really, he doesn't show that. He doesn't have that freedom when he plays in central midfield because he's got 
a finite defensive job to do in that position. And as, as he should do, you know, being picked in as, as the the third in a, an essential midfield three, of course he's got that. The freedom he had to, to run forward and contribute like, like he had in the last two victories, that's where you're getting the best out of him. So it, I, I find it really disappointing. More than that, I find it absolutely baffling um, that, that we have all these options in central midfield and we're continuously playing a square peg in a round hole. Yeah, I think I think yeah, that's one thing that I'll agree with you is the fact that um the reason for starting Jeffrey Slup in midfield is probably if you look at our bench, there was Readerworld, Max Meyer and Camarasa, and all three players, I'm slightly convinced that Roy doesn't trust them, especially Readerworld, he doesn't. And Max Meyer is debatable and Camarasa him being left out of the squad a couple of times this season is not convincing as well. So, yeah, there, there's players out there that Roy doesn't trust. And the thing with Roy is that if he doesn't trust you, he just he doesn't even look at you. He doesn't even give you a chance. And that's the only disappointing thing. But going into the game, we've always, you know, I've I've criticised Hodgson a lot. I've I've edged towards the Hodgson out thing. But I understand his approach. I'm sorry. I, he took the risk and it didn't work. But I understand the thinking behind it with the pace um, and hitting them on a the counter. But, yeah. It's just as simple as that. I kind of get what both of you are saying. I just feel like it's a symptom of the fact that <clears throat> there were certain things he didn't trust with the the starting eleven he went for because of the fact that he swapped um, Wilf and and Joss around. And if he was sure of himself with the starting eleven, surely he wouldn't have done that. It just it just, it just smacked to, to me that he was having to make up for a hole in his theory. Definitely, I think I think that's a really good point um, because, and you, you you know both what you've said, Mike, and, and what you've said, Dia, um, in terms of the trust. I think that is a big issue, and we do see that reflected in the selection quite often. That there doesn't seem to be that trust and belief in, in a wider selection. And you know, I know that certainly people who are, I know Patrick, for example, on who's who's obviously often on our show, um, has a real problem with the fact that Roy won't even try some of the younger players at times when he's when he's looking for options I think you know again that's always a difficult call to know whether someone's going to be good enough but sometimes you have to give an opportunities but with Roy it's not just about you know the the young players it's about established players I mean Camarasa is is a good example of that and you have to wonder for someone who was who was Cardiff's best player last year and, and absolutely outstanding they you know they cannot believe that we don't use him and you have to wonder where he fits in with, with how Roy wants to play because ultimately with Roy, the system governs the selection and he will he will pick certain players purely because he believes they understand and trust, and he can trust them to play his system out there on the pitch. And you can, you can understand that. But um, I think it's just harder to understand when it clearly doesn't work and we refuse to change. And that's just something we have to deal with and you have to decide whether or not to to sort of whether whether you actually accept that um, for the benefits of potentially having a very good chance of staying in the division versus the division versus, you know, getting someone else in and potentially ending up in a worse situation. Uh, more Roy in a bit, but let's talk about Wilfred Zaha. So Wilfred, for me, was the only player to come out with some pretty serious credit Um at times, potentially a little bit overly selfish, and I think that some of that came came out of frustration, um, and, and you know, just feeling like he had to dribble past the entire opposition team to actually have a chance of affecting the game. 
Uh, I, I can kind of understand why he ended up in that mentality. But for me, I thought he did really well. And I was just, I'm just so disappointed. It's not just after this game, but in general at the moment, just to, just to see so many turning on him. And, and for me, the key point I'm going to, I don't, why hate him? Why hate on that, on, on Wilfred Zaha? You can pick a number of players to hate on if you want. But for me, Wilf should be the furthest from, from that. And it, obviously it comes from him asking to move on and, and from the fact that he officially put in a request to move. But, it, you know, people citing a lack of loyalty. It, to me, it's disloyal to turn on Wilfred Zaha. He's a player that came through our academy. And we, we all know, if you're truthful and honest about things, you know that he's, he's more than capable of playing a bigger club with better players. And he would he would achieve more away from Palace. And you can't be angry at that. You know, if there, if there was a time to be angry at Zaha for leaving Palace, it was when he left at 19 and went to Man United. But instead, we at that time, he had a T-shirt that said, thank you, Palace, on his last game. And we clapped him away and said, what, what a hero, what an amazing player. Go and go and rip the trees up at Man U. And here we are, people are just tearing the guy apart week in, week out. I won't I won't say what I've said in the in the uh in the show document, but I'm really disappointed in, in people's attitudes towards him. And it, you know, a lot of it's from people that I, I have a lot of time for and I respect as well. And I'm 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 really surprised at just how bad things have got. You're spot on. Um and I don't think there was any game I've seen in recent months or years that illustrated um, how isolated he can look um, as as it did at, at Spurs um, on Saturday. Uh, at times, um, he was trying to run around players on his own with, with, with no support whatsoever. Um, it's not necessarily um, any kind of comment against IU, um, but he... He was totally isolated, uh, and he still did well. He uh, he got knocked over by Rose, got knocked over by Kane. Um, wasn't as angry as I've seen him in other games before. Um, I mean, his perception might be that he, in his head, um, he's more frustrated by these kind of games than he used to be because of the fact that he hasn't got the move he's wanted. Um, that could be the case, but we've got no evidence to prove that. And certainly, it didn't stop him putting in the effort because um like you say he was probably the one um the one good thing we can say about the game despite the fact that Hodgson said that the one good thing about the game was that he got Sacco back and he played 90 minutes um we're talking about a week where um he's been rumored to be uh, perhaps joining Riola Riola's um right um yeah, Stable. whatever you want to call it, um, uh, and he could be his new agent. So um, you know, there's, prob- there's probably if there's any truth in that, he's probably got half a mind in that. But it didn't show it on the pitch. Um, he he tracked back when he needed to as well. I mean, to me, he didn't look any different to a lot of games last season. Um, of course, he had a couple of shots. Um, he didn't score and it would probably take a goal for people to say, oh, he tried. Um, he did nothing different to the games last season. Can't fault him whatsoever. And if you go on whoscored.com, he's got the highest rating from any player in our team, which I, I think is thoroughly deserved. I think if he does get that, um, if he does go with Mino, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Right, sure. Right, okay. Yeah, I think if he does go with him, I think he gets a big move if he wants. Um, the players that uh, Raiola got 
under his name, such as Pogba and Ibra. He's got high caliber players, and I feel like he'll get Wilf the move he wants. And I don't know if we, if we should be worried about that or if we should be excited about that. But if 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 it does actually, I don't know. Will's contract actually with a agent agency expires at the end of his contract. So if it does happen then, then I can see him moving to a big club. I think above all, we need to be planning for that because the same as it was highly likely that Aaron Wambasaka was going to get snapped up by a top club, whichever that was, and it turned out to be United. Uh, it's not a secret that Zaha wants to go and that it's highly likely that he will go at some stage in the next year or so, possibly January, possibly in the summer. So we need to be preparing for that. We've been over-reliant on him for too long and absolutely we, we can't and shouldn't begrudge him his you know desire to better himself. But we absolutely have to have a plan for that. I mean, part of that might be put Andros on the right where he's comfortable and let him play there. But, you know, we, we need to have a plan for that. Yeah, for sure we do. It's, but, you know, how, how do you plan to replace one of the best players you've ever you've ever had at your, your team? It's, it's a tough one. But, I, you know, for me, the whole point I wanted to make is that as a fan base, I've just got to be realistic. And, and I'm very, very, very uncomfortable with people turning on him. I don't think he's done a thing wrong. I, I, I honestly don't. Um, the fact that a, a formal request was put in to leave Palace was was seen as as, as a kind of like the final straw, kind of the, the thing that went took it from being a an understandable situation um, to to some sort of offence in our general direction. But I, I think that's just so arbitrary in my view. You just you can't suddenly decide that a player is just disloyal for that. You know, the bottom line is he he is wants to push himself and, and understandably wants to push himself to play for a bigger club and we shouldn't be offended um, by him wanting to do that. I think we potentially should be offended by how badly um, his age previous agent uh, went about doing that to the point where he was ended up pushing for a move to Everton. I think that's possibly offensive, but I think Wolf would probably feel just as offended as us in, in that situation. I just, I just don't like to see it. Obviously, everyone is entitled to their own opinion and their own views and to express it in any way they see fit, but just just my view on it. Um, so finally, let's talk a little bit about Roy's post-match comments. I did say we returned to Roy. So I've got no problem with the fact that he says, look, you know, we, have to, we were poor, we'll learn from it, it'll make us stronger. I hope it does. But he then said... Um, we're not going to get the points we need banking on coming to Spurs to win. No, maybe not. We're not, not if we're banking on three points from Spurs. No, but we're not going to get the points we need playing like that against anybody going out with that setup, with that team, with that. I, no, I can't, I can't understand the game plan. I can't understand what we wanted to do in that game. I think we just went out and decided that we we're playing a difficult team. So all we'll do is just do what we usually do and hope it works. That's how it felt. I'm sure there was more to it than that, but it's so defeatist. You know, what if what if Norwich this weekend decided, oh, we're just going to lose against Man City, so we'll just keep it tight, damage limitation, and not think too much about it. But they just went and played their football, imposed themselves on the game. We've done that in the past, in the recent past, uh, but for whatever reason, we didn't do it against Spurs. And I was a bit uncomfortable with that, DR. 
I, I again disagree. We did do that against Spurs. We didn't. Norwich have that. Yeah, we did. Norwich have their <laughs> style of play or playing out from the back. And the first game of the season, if you remember, against Liverpool, people actually looked at Norwich and asked them if they were actually crazy playing out from the back against Liverpool. And they paid the price. But then again, they're still st- uh, stuck by it. And they played that against City at home and they got a result. Our identity that has worked away from home, that has, once again, I'll say we finished sixth in the Premier League last season in away form, is to sit back and then hit teams on a counter-attack. The setup was clearly there for that to happen, but the players didn't execute it. And also minor, twe- minor tweaks, such as uh, maybe if Jordan and I got a bit of help and pressured the centre-backs, because I feel like they changed the game a lot with their passing. If stuff like that happened, then yeah. But overall, the game plan, I understand what it was. Uh, sit back and hit them on the counter-attack. Yes, it didn't work out, but it has worked out in the past and the better team won. Simple as that. Right, first of all, I really look forward to watching us this season in the away Europa League. It's going to be so much fun. Uh, obviously, you have to play all your fixtures away from home, which is difficult for both teams to play away from home. So, constant neutral venues. Um, very, very interesting competition. So really looking forward to that. Um, but I think, no, I, I understand what you're saying, but I just don't see it. I don't see us going out. You know, you've talked about us taking risks against Spurs. None of that was about risk. That was all about lack of risk. It was all about trying not to get ourselves into a position where we might get thumped. And then we got thumped. And it, it's embarrassing when that happens. That was a humiliating game of football. And let's not lie, DR, you were so humiliated watching it. You didn't watch the second half, did you? So, so, no, yes, I did. <laughs> so let's, not, let's not dance around how, yes. how terrible it was. Um, no, yes, I did. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> you wasn't there with me in my house watching a game. How can, I, how can you even prove something like that? Go on, show me the evidence. <laughs> No, no, no. I'll just let people at home decide who to play. Let's let's get on to any random positives we can before we end. Um, You've put a sort of any other business thing at the bottom of the notes. Um, I thought it was harsh on Guaita to um, take four goals past him. Um, I thought he he, he played all right. Um, I didn't didn't see much to moan about. And Ayu, um, I think showed um early on i think probably before they went one nil up um or perhaps it was one nil he showed the kind of thing that he had didn't show last season where he despite the fact he was he was falling over he was on his way down um carried on past the defender as as best he could and won a foul um i think if he carries on doing that he's going to um keep palace fans on his side so um, you know, he had an ineffectual game, but um, he did the kind of thing that you'd, you'd expect, um, like you say, in, in one of those away counter-attacking games. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, 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 yeah, I think, it's, you know, to try and bring positives out of that is is difficult and you've done a done a cracking job there. But, um, you know, one one last thing I wanted to get, get off my chest about... Actually, go on, Chris, you jump in first before I get this off my chest because I'm dragging us back down into a negative. Okay, keeping it tight was obviously the game plan, and we lost a player, you know, right before the start of the games. I understand through the um, fitness test, so you know, clearly there had to be an adaptation, and it, and as we've said, it didn't work. I mean, the thing that I would stick to is if you look at our results so far, they're basically what you would would expect. I mean, we don't normally get thumped, and you know, it's really annoying that we did get thumped this time. But I think if you look at look at the points tally so far, 
you know, we want to gain on track to stay in the Premier League with Roy Ball. That won't be a huge amount of fun for everyone. Ah! <laughs> it won't... Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, Sorry. I, I, I know it's annoying. It won't be a huge amount of fun for everyone, but that is what Roy does. And, you know, unless something is, unless a decision is taken that in some way that's going to change, and unless the Americans sell, I don't think that is going to happen, then, you know, we're going to get through to the end of the season be somewhere between 12th and 15th and it'll you know we'll have to see what happens next year but you know that's it i mean that's that's as optimistic as i can be i think we're going to stay in the premier league if you ever ever say roy ball again that's it for you. <laughs> i did want to draw attention to one little thing and it is a negative um, but roy said this and so actually i agree i agree with it up until a point and let's see which point that is. I might give it away. So Roy said this. The fact is, we mustn't get carried away with results. I agree with that. For us, it's going to be a very long, hard fight to stay in this league. And there'll be a plenty of games like this where, I'm fine up until now, we play teams with power, fine, and intensity, not fine. I'm not fine with the with the, the intensity comment. That is the thing that drives me absolutely insane about how we start football matches when playing Roy Ball. <laughs> okay? He does not set us up to play with the level of intensity that you need. And it absolutely is exposed in games when we play an opponent that comes at us, that high presses, that gives us, you know, just just really pushes us onto the back foot. We're absolutely exposed by that. Sometimes we get away with it, but more often than not, that's where the, the games are really, really tough to watch. So I just took that comment. I know it's possibly unfair to pick out that one word, but it really drove me mad. Let's hope that people have switched off before discussion of Roy Ball happened. Um, but uh, just want to, before we finish... Uh, come in with a few comments from people um people are obviously quite angry um so a few of them we've discussed but uh, many of them were using words that we couldn't repeat uh john pike said that luca needs to be dropped uh maybe we'll have a discussion about that next time um mark jones who do we bring in to replace roy uh well we've had enough uh, people telling us that we want roy dead recently so we thought we'd better not touch that one with a barge pole but um, let's be honest, um, there's a few options that are people thinking of. One of them is Portuguese. Graham Wick, um, the damn inconsistency of this team and Roy's lack of faith in the players he has. I think hopefully, Graham, we've discussed that um, well enough for you uh, on this episode. And then Furhad Zaidi, maybe time for a spin-off cricket podcast, just an idea. Uh, definitely bear that in mind. Um, that would be excellent. Uh, and then Benchmark see um has said and wants to discuss putting denley up the order i think that's worked excellently uh considering that we managed to win the oval test and then hambo 1980 uh who sounds like uh, someone who knows what they're talking about says joe root backing himself as a bowler and best though responding to pressure with two great thumpings so i think we can end on a positive with that one absolutely and i'm I enjoyed whether or not it was intentional or not. The idea of a spin-off cricket podcast, like a spin. Ah, uh, yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, it's good work. Very, very good clever. Work. Well done. And obviously, uh, Furhead was one of the originals, so 
Cheers for that. I mean, when we started this show as Homestead Radio, he was on our first ever show and, and with us for a little while. So good to hear from Ferhad. And I would I would love to do a cricket podcast, but I don't watch quite enough cricket. You do though, Mike. So, you know, let's see. Uh, um, let's go with the true crime podcast, I reckon. Yeah, I still think true crime. I, I love true crime. Hey, guys, do you want us to do a true crime podcast? Mm, let us know. We'll think about it. Oh, dear, I'd like to give up. Well, you know those people, um, I don't know how many true crime podcasts you listen to, Mike, but there's, there's lots of them that have managed to be able, because of the popularity of the genre, um, they've been able to give up work and just do that. I'd quite like to do that. Oh, we could be those kind of dodgy bastards that charge loads of money and ask people to give us money for doing this pod and then live that yeah, way. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a bit of a minefield, that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's, uh, let's, let's avoid that, though, eh? No paywall, no subscription. Back of the nest. Fan-created podcasts, videos and articles. Free forever. Um, look, there was plenty in there. Thank you to everyone who got in touch. And, and I will give a quick quick nod to John Pike saying Luca needs to be dropped. Not the only person to say that. And, uh, and I'm de- that that will come up because um, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a, definitely a debate in there. Um, and also a nod to Mark Jones around replacing Roy. Who do we bring in? And I'll be honest, I think that's the big one of the biggest problems is who is out there. And that you've seen plenty of other clubs kind of take a risk, um, you know, bring them up, bring them up again. Look at Norwich. I'm sure, most people don't even know who their manager is. You know, in terms of the context of what he's done before, uh, but achieving amazing things with a, you know, a talented but at Premier League level limited squad so I think that there are options out there perhaps without the the approach it has to be someone that you've heard of and has to be someone that's already achieved things somewhere else I think sometimes you can take a risk on something of the unknown anyway um, sorry that was a hugely negative podcast and also sorry that I consumed an entire entire bottle of red wine during it and have very little idea of what I'm talking about right now Um, but do of course uh, listen, share, and subscribe this podcast. Well, you have listened to it clearly. Um, <laughs> well, to get to this point, but uh, listen to Love Sport on Tuesday. That's uh, eight till nine PM, isn't it, Dr? Yeah, it's only me, yeah. I think so far. So that'll be great. Only you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I might be available next week if you're if you're interested. In oh that. no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to go back. I haven't met. Uh, I haven't met uh, Darren Miller from EastEnders yet. Oh wow! So, um, well, you, you yeah. spoke to him. I have spoken to him twice yeah. now. I spoke to him on the uh, they did a Spurs preview show. Anyway, um, there's also the preview show coming during the week. So if you are subscribed on your chosen podcast app, you'll get that automatically. So make sure you do. Uh, you can rate us five stars as well. Probably not after this show, but um, after other shows, rate us five stars. Uh, so other people can find the podcast. And finally, thank you for listening. Thank you to Sam for producing. And thank you to my panel, DR, Chris and Mike. We'll see you again soon. Bye. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? 
at participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.